Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of the American Sheep Industry Association. I'm your host, Jake Thorne. And this month, we're covering a topic that is something that is applicable to all sheep producers, large and small. And that is vaccines. Proper health management of your flock is vital to running a successful sheep operation. And having a correct vaccination program is a key component of that. So with that said, there's really some important background knowledge that is needed to understand the ins and outs of a vaccination protocol. So today to discuss that with us, we have Dr. Rosie Bush, who is a sheep and goat extension veterinarian with UC Cooperative Extension in California. Dr. Bush also has a research component and obviously her DVM, so she brings a great perspective and tremendous knowledge on the topic of vaccines and flock health in general. So we're really excited to have you today, Dr. Bush. Thank you very much for joining us. Before we get started, can you give us a quick background on yourself? Yeah, so I am California native and went to vet school at UC Davis and practiced in Hollister, California for a little bit. And then I returned to UC Davis and finished a a large animal internal medicine residency. And I worked in clinics there for a number of years and then went to CDFA for a few years to work on the antibiotic stewardship program. And have recently started this position at UC Davis um, and I've been here for just under a year. So it's been about 20 years since the university in California has had a sheep and goat extension specialist. So definitely filling a void here and I'm excited to be doing it. So Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us. We're really excited uh, to hear your thoughts on on vaccines and, and sheep health. And so I think with that said, let's start with a really just broad question to open things up. What exactly is a vaccine? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, Vaccines are basically a controlled exposure to the disease we're trying to prevent. So they're usually containing either killed or weakened or even just little fragments of virus or bacteria that cause the disease. And they basically allow the immune system to respond as if it were exposed to the disease without all those harmful effects. Um, Usually we deliver those vaccines um, either by giving them under the skin. However, uh, with developing technology, a lot of vaccines are given in ways that kind of mimic the normal route of infection. So some vaccines you you may have heard of are given in the nose. Um, Some are given orally. Um, And then like with the sore mouth vaccine, we give them by scraping the skin and kind of placing the vaccine on top of the skin there. Okay. And really vaccines are a part of health management of your flock. They're, They're an important tool. Is there something just in general that producers can do or or several things producers can do to help improve the efficacy of their vaccines or the successfulness of, you know, that application? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. So when we think about how vaccines work, the animal has to be able to amount a really good immune response in order to develop that long lasting immunity. So you have to have a healthy animal to start with, um, which means having a really good nutrition program is really important, um, which includes energy, protein, and all your micronutrients. Um, But also uh, immune systems can only handle so much. So it is really important, even if you have the best vaccine program, to make sure that animal hygiene is 
in the best way that it can be so in order to minimize the animal's exposure to disease um, because they can certainly still be overwhelmed with certain bacteria or viruses even though they've been immunized against them. Sure, and how about stress and, and handling? Is you know proper handling of those animals an important component of that too? Absolutely, so stress certainly can affect the way that an animal mounts an immune response. Um, that goes kind of two parts, whether, you know, if they're stressed when we're giving a vaccine, it can really kind of inhibit the way that they respond to the vaccine. But also if they're stressed after we've given a, given a vaccine, it can challenge the effect of their immune system, even though they have been vaccinated. I think it is important to consider also how vaccines work. So especially with killed vaccines, so those would be a lot of the vaccines that we have access to for sheep, like the bacterins and toxoids. So CD and T would be an example of those. Um, usually we give an initial dose and that initial dose just primes the immune system. Um, and it really only provides a small short-term protection, if any protection at all. And really that booster is what drives the level of protection up to where it needs to be for most animals with a typical exposure. Um, and then those annual boosters are kind of like reminders for the immune system to keep that protection level high. So really for an effective uh, vaccine response, they should be used according to the way that they're directed on the label, including that booster. Okay, absolutely. And I think that's something that we're probably going to circle back to um, later on in, in the podcast. Okay, so let's get into the, the meat and potatoes of it here. Uh, we often think of vaccinations and vaccination protocols as being something that are you know, really important for young animals. So regarding sheep, what would be a typical vaccination protocol for lambs, let's say, prior to weaning? Yeah, so... Usually with vaccines, we think we want to think about what, what are they at greatest risk for? And so that is definitely going to differ depending on where you are, um, what challenges you have. But I would say across the board, as far as a typical protocol, you know, I think the, the most common vaccine that everyone uses is the CD&T, and that's for clostridial diseases with perfringens, type C and E, and then tetanus. Um, so I would say you know, probably a pretty common protocol is for them, lambs to be vaccinated around three or four weeks of age. And that's if the ewe was not vaccinated before lambing. And then a booster around six to eight weeks of age. Um, usually that's helping to prevent the type D overeating disease, which is what you would see kind of as lambs get older than a month old. Now, and if people are having problems with the type C overeating disease, which is when they're usually two, three, four weeks of age, that vaccine schedule isn't really gonna work for them. So in those cases, it would probably really benefit them to vaccinate the ewes about three to four weeks prior to lambing because then they'll have those maternal antibodies in the colostrum, which helps protect those lambs for about six to eight weeks. Um, and that kind of goes with the tetanus as well. So we typically think about tetanus being a problem when we're marking lambs or if they have cuts or punctures. And again, it really depends on when lambs are being processed. If they're processed really early on after birth, 
then they might consider vaccinating ewes before lambing. But if they're processed a little bit later, then you definitely want to consider vaccinating lambs at you know maybe that three to four weeks of age, but remembering that they really don't have protection until about two weeks after that initial vaccination and that when you've given that booster. So, so uh, you know, in regarding tetanus, um, I think there's a difference between toxoid and antitoxin. Uh, can you explain that just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So what we just described with the vaccine protocol, that's the toxoid. So that would be giving, that would be an, a controlled exposure to what they might experience with an infection and allow that, it allows the lamb to amount an immune response of their own. What antitoxin is, is basically antibody. So we would be giving the lamb antibody. So if they are exposed to tetanus, then it should protect them to a degree. It depends on the dose that's given and all of those things. But um, so let's say we weren't able to vaccinate the lamb before it got injured or before we decided to mark, then antitoxin might be a better answer for you at that time because you're protecting them immediately, but it's very short-lived. It's only about 10 days of protection that they get from that. Okay, thank you. Now, you also mentioned that three to four weeks is somewhat of a, a magic time period to give that first round of vaccines. Why would we not want to give it earlier than that? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, uh, usually with lambs that have been that have received a normal, an adequate amount of colostrum, um, those, the antibodies that are in colostrum can actually affect the response that the lambs make to the vaccine. Um, three to four weeks is not really a magic number, but because <laughs> those maternal antibodies can, they really start to decline around six to eight weeks of age, which is why if we do have a lamb that's from a ewe that was vaccinated before she lambed, then we would not want to vaccinate that lamb until they're about six to eight weeks of age. So that three to four, if we vaccinated a lamb much younger, they would have a pretty hard time mounting a really good, strong immune response to that vaccine. Okay. Now for a lot of producers that have um, a cattle background or transitioning to sheep from cattle, you know, they think of those early vaccines as a seven or eight way. Do people use those vaccines with sheep as well or why or why not? Is that a good idea? Yeah, so a lot, seven and eight way vaccines are good if they're noticing that they're having problems with diseases like malignant edema or um, black leg. So if they've had problems with that, then it would definitely be good to add a seven or eight way in. Um, otherwise, it just might not be necessary. Um, it kind of dilutes the immune response to a degree. Sure. Okay. Okay, so let's move on to our more mature sheep. So how about ewes that have entered into production? Is there a vaccine protocol that are you know, typically used uh, for mature animals and, and given annually? Yeah, so use we typically, you know, kind of their main vaccine that's given is the CD and T. Um, usually it would be 
for the tetanus protection, if there's any injury given or that happens at lambing, um, they get their annual booster. Um, any other vaccine that would be given to a ewe is usually based on any kind of disease risk that's specific to that herd or that flock and in that region. So if they're having abortion problems, that might be something that would be considered as adding a vaccine. The challenge is the vaccines are very specific to a disease. So it's really, if, if they're having challenges with abortions, it would really be beneficial to actually get a diagnosis for what is causing that abortion and pick a vaccine that's specific to that agent. So other sure. conditions, you know, might include um, some other diseases that would affect flock health and protectivity, which might be like blue tongue or caseous lymphadenitis or CL or foot rot or sore, sore mouth. But certainly those, you know, you kind of want to consider cost benefit. So we don't tend to vaccinate for just everything. Um, but once we have it, I think, you know, once there is a diagnosis made, it's certainly something to consider adding a vaccine into that kind of animal health management plan. Sure. I want to circle back to something that you just mentioned uh, earlier in that response, uh, abortions, and the importance of getting a, a diagnosis for exactly what disease or condition you're dealing with. You know, when do, would you consider producers, you know, really truly having a problem? If they see a single aborted fetus, if they see multiples, when, when is sort of the point that they need to be concerned and really contact their veterinarian to get that diagnosis done? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a level of risk that's accepted that's a little bit different for everyone. But, you know, I think if we get above, depending on the size of the herd or the flock, but I would think probably around 4 to 10% abortions would be certainly concerning. But like I said, if you have smaller flocks, you may not accept as high of a level of risk or it just, it may depend, you know, what kind of where your threshold is. Um, but I, I certainly think it can be a challenge to diagnose abortions in sheep because a lot of times we don't find the fetuses. Um, but if they're, if they're noticing more open use than would be expected, then it would be something that you might consider, you know, collecting blood and running serum for these agents that usually cause abortions. Sure. And so the vaccines for these abortion disease, when are they typically delivered to the U? Yeah, that's a really good point. So um, vaccines for abortions, we only have two in the U.S. right now. And we have one for chlamydia, which is the enzootic abortion abuse. And then we have one for uh, campylobacter jejuni or fetus. Um, and that is vibriosis. Um, and they have to be given before breeding. So they cannot be given to pregnant ewes. So if you're in the middle of an abortion storm, vaccinating is not going to fix that problem this year, but it might be something to consider for next year. Absolutely. Okay, I think that's great. So, uh, we, you know, we oftentimes we think of health management and vaccine protocols as something that it's important for our ewes, important for our lambs, but what about the male side of this situation? Rams, is there a typical protocol that is delivered to breeding rams throughout the year? They're the ones that are going to be in contact with several ewes throughout the breeding season. They could be potential, you know, potentially spreading this disease, diseases. So, you know, how do we make sure and take care of those guys? Yeah, I think that's a really important consideration. 
Um, and probably one thing to stress even before getting into vaccines is if we're bringing new rams in to a farm from off the premises, then it, it's probably the best prevention is screening for these diseases as best as we can. I know that sometimes that can be a bit frustrating, but um, I think that's a good first step. And then certainly if there's a vaccine program for these contagious diseases like foot rot or CL or sore mouth, then the RAM should be included in that program for sure. Um, and then CD&T annual boosters are kind of just insurance <laughs> against those Absolutely. diseases, so it would be a good idea. Okay, so you've touched on foot rot and CL and, and sore mouth a couple times. Um, are those problems regionally throughout the U.S.? Are there certain areas that are more prone to having issues with those situations? And what are some options for producers with those diseases? That's a Great question. It could be a it's bit a of a challenging response. question. <laughs> um, so foot rot is certainly regional. I think, you know, definitely where we have wet climates, warmer, you know, warm and wet climates, we see, we tend to have a problem with foot rot. Um, the challenge with foot rot is there's a number of different bacteria that can cause very similar lesions. And the vaccine is for only it's for one type of bacteria, even though it covers 10 strains of that bacteria. So the vaccine's only gonna work if that bacteria is what is causing the problem in the sheep. And then again, that vaccine isn't necessarily licensed for sale in the US, although we do have some distribution mechanisms um, through certain wool grower groups in the United States. Um, the, Neat thing about foot rot though, which is pretty unusual for vaccines, is that it can be given in the midst of an outbreak and help clear up ongoing infections. So that is pretty neat about that vaccine. Um, CL is kind of the opposite in that it doesn't work if animals are already infected because it's such a chronic disease. Um, so see if CL, in as far as I've, um, experience so far is pretty ubiquitous. It's kind of across <laughs> the, the states as far as I've heard. Um, so, you know, it's challenging to find animals that haven't been exposed to CL. Um, so if people are considering a control program, vaccines could be a piece of that control program, um, but it be, would be something where you'd consider vaccinating the young animals. Um, because they wouldn't be effective in the older animals. Sure, and so young animals would be the ones that would receive the CL vaccine for the foot rot vaccine, also young animals, or is that something that you wait until you have some exposure or see some incidents of? Definitely, you could do it to young. Anyone that would be at risk for developing foot rot could potentially benefit from the vaccine. Okay. Um, sore mouth, on the other hand, because it is a live virus vaccine, wouldn't be something that I would necessarily want to use on a premise that hasn't had a problem with sore mouth. So the sore mouth vaccine pretty much just offers the benefit of the pr producer to choose when their sheep will be infected, like when and where. <laughs> sure. So if you have show sheep, you can vaccinate them in a hidden region that's you know long before you're ever going to show so that they 
get the vaccine, they kind of resolve the infection, and then it shouldn't be a problem when you go to different exhibitions. Okay, great. So another disease that is, is certainly on the minds of sheep producers and livestock producers of, of all species is pneumonia. Uh, respiratory issues is something that affects you know young animals, well, mature animals. So is, are there certain vaccines that are common for respiratory issues in sheep or are there certain vaccines that are at least available to sheep producers to use to control this type of situation? Yeah, so there is a Mannheimia and Pasteurella vaccine. Um, that one I think is I guess depending on when the lambs are experiencing pneumonia, if they're really young, then that one would be best given to the ewes so that the immunity is carried in the colostrum to protect the really young lambs. Um, if the lambs are getting pneumonia a bit later, then you know that might be something that a producer and a veterinarian might choose to vaccinate around six to eight weeks or three to four weeks. Again, trying to plan so that they're immune before they're at risk of infection. Um, there's other vaccines that people recommend, like there's a IBR intranasal vaccine. That is not a sheep vaccine, it's actually a cattle vaccine. Um, but there's some thought that IBR has significance or it can um, affect pneumonia in lambs. So it may predispose them to getting a bacterial pneumonia. Um, so, you know, there certainly veterinarians can decide to use cattle vaccines on sheep. That is legal. Uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, you always you want to make sure you're looking at the literature when you're deciding on the dose and, you know, all of that, because there's certainly a cattle immune system is different from a sheep immune system. So cattle have higher tolerance for antigens. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, okay, well, let's just cut the dose in half. Um, so basically their response right. to certain vaccines could be totally different. So it's just something that, you know, it, there's options out there, especially because we don't have a lot of vaccines for sheep that, you know, we tend to reach for things that are available for other species but it would be something to consider that it doesn't necessarily just cross the board from cattle to sheep. Absolutely. Now I realize we can't cover, you know, every disease and condi condition. Obviously that uh, you know, could be probably several podcasts in, in a row, but are there any other specific diseases that you want to bring up or at least make producers aware of that there is a vaccine for that could really help them out? Uh, how about blue tongue? I know that's something on the West coast that is, uh, you know, been a, a serious condition. Is, is there a, a vaccine available for producers for that? So there is a vaccine for blue tongue. Unfortunately, kind of like we mentioned how it is really useful to have a diagnosis before we choose to vaccinate. The vaccine for blue tongue is for strain 10. And they've found that the different strains of blue tongue don't necessarily offer cross protection. So if the sheep are, you know, if we're exposed to strain 11 or 17, vaccinating for strain 10 might not offer the best protection. So it is something, you know, I think that we all would like is for more and better vaccines, 
Um, so, you know, I think the conversations are happening everywhere. It's just trying to get that ball. Moving. Sure. One thing I did want to ask you about, though, that I know is a product that's available in Australia, and it's this is a little bit different because it's not necessarily a disease. This is actually a product that's meant to help control parasite infection, and that's the Barbervax. Can you explain what Barbervax is, and is it available to U.S. producers? Yeah, so Barbervax is a really exciting kind of new product that's been developed. Um, it's manufactured in Australia and it is not available in the US. And it's very unlikely that that Australian product will be able to you know, be imported um, for use in the US just because of the way that it's manufactured. Um, but what it does, it, so it only protects against the barber pole worm. It doesn't protect against other parasites. So it's not like giving a dewormer where you kind of get that broad spectrum effect. But if you're, you know, if we're seeing a lot of problems with barber poles specifically, it could be a really useful tool. Um, but it's interesting how it has to be given. So they, it requires three priming doses before there's any immunity that's kind of gained from these uh, vaccinations. Um, so you have to plan pretty far in advance before the kind of high risk season. And then throughout the season, uh, it requires boosters every six weeks. So it's certainly pretty highly like, intensive. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. So you alluded to it, but new vaccines for sheep, uh, along with you know many other health related products are not becoming available to U.S. producers in a very rapid fashion. And why exactly do we not see new products on the shelves very often? Sorry, you cut out. <laughs> oh. uh, I, was, I was saying new vaccines for sheep um, and other health-related products and, and treatments are not available to producers very often. Why exactly do we not see new products out there? Um, and, you know, what's kind of the regulatory process that limits that? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Uh, vaccines in the United States are regulated by USDA through the Center of Veterinary Biologics. And they... You know, they ensure the purity of the vaccine, they ensure the safety of the product to the animals, but also since we're talking about food producing animals, the safety of consuming the animal after they've been given this product. Um, they also ensure the potency and the efficacy. So there are a number of tests that have to be run before any of these products can be licensed for sale in the US. Um, Though saying that a lot of these products are used in animals across seas and then that product is imported into the US. So a number of those studies are done so that they can sell that animal product here as far as like the safety um, from consuming that product. But as far as why we don't have the license here, a lot of it is because of the cost of running those studies. Um, and so as far as I've heard, it is not necessarily cost effective for these biologics companies to go through that whole licensing process. Um, so I think that, you know, there are certainly um, options that are being looked at, like there's, I forget what it's called, but there, there are kind of coalitions, like international coalitions to try to get licensing to be global. 
Um, there are some relationships forming from certain groups between like Canada and the US to try to get dual licensing happening concurrently. So, you know, I think that we're trying to think outside the box and get some of these products through, especially since we have a lot of pressure to stop using some of the other technologies that we have available to us. It's really important that we you know, are able to maintain the health of our animals. Absolutely. And I know that's a frustrating scenario for a lot of U.S. sheep producers. You know, they see these products becoming available overseas, but they're not available in the U.S. You know, is part of that because sheep are kind of a minor livestock species in the U.S.? I think to a degree that's true, but I think also the demand in this in our industry just might not be as high as it is in other industries. We we have you know, we kind of a, a lot in a lot of areas we raise sheep very traditionally still, so they're not necessarily raised intensively where they're you know have a lot of exposure to certain pathogens. So even if, you know, there's, I think there's certainly a need um, to develop these products for tools for our producers, but, you know, I could see how the demand might not be as high in our industry as it might be in others. Okay. Now, I, I kind of want to move on to a, a related subject, but as, you know, livestock producers and sheep producers, we're all well aware of the need for responsible use of antibiotics. Uh, and the concerns that are around antibiotics that consumers have. So how are vaccines different from antibiotics and are there any issues with product contamination when we use vaccines? That's a really good question. Um, so vaccines are very different from antibiotics in that, you know, vaccines actually have the bad bug or the disease that we're trying to control in it. Um, whereas antibiotics have some kind of chemical product that should kill the disease um, or at least weaken it so the immune system can then kill and clear the disease. Um, you know, I think I really liked what Dr. Scott Bowdred said in the last episode about how pathogens haven't become resistant to the animal's immune system yet. So vaccines are really kind of helpful in that area because they're just kind of boosting the immune system rather than a chemical that the, you know, the pathogen can become resistant to. Um, but like what you said with any kind of contaminant with vaccines, there's certainly that risk. Um, I think that's certainly higher if we're considering autogenous vaccines. So a lot of the vaccines I have mentioned are commercially available vaccines, but working veterinarians can produce vaccines for their clients and it has to be within that VCPR, but those are called autogenous vaccines. And the neat thing about those is they're specific to the strain that's causing a problem in your clock. Um, but they do come with a bit higher risk that they could you know, not have that purity that the commercial vaccines are hoping for. Absolutely. Okay. And again, this is something that you touched on earlier, but I think as a veterinarian, you bring a great perspective on this next question. Are all vaccines that are available for other species, cattle or goats or, or whatever, are they translatable to sheep? And if not, you know, what are the concerns that are associated with off-label use? Yeah, so... 
a lot of the concerns with just using cattle vaccines for sheep um, is that one, it may not even be the same strain of bacteria or virus that actually affects the two different species. Um, but again, sheep don't have as much tolerance in their immune system as cattle do. So you can really overwhelm sheep immune systems, which means they just won't build an immune response to that vaccine, even though they've been exposed to it because they just get overwhelmed. Um, and then, you know, the, the adjuvants might be something that sheep don't tolerate as well as cattle do. And so that's something to consider because, you know, much like a drug does, vaccines have withdrawal periods attached to them. So, you know, an adjuvant that's meant for cattle may have a certain withdrawal period in cattle, but in sheep, it may actually be longer or shorter. That would be something, you know, to be mindful of if using a vaccine off-label in a food animal species. Okay, thank you. Well, I, you know, we're getting kind of towards the end of our time period. Um, I want to sort of wrap things up here. If listeners of this podcast could take away just one thing or one key component that you discussed today, what would you like to leave them with? Yeah, I think, you know, it's really important to remember that in order to really properly implement vaccine protocols, it requires a lot of planning. Um, and that these vaccines are really just one piece of a puzzle and a kind of broad flock management. Okay, absolutely. And so how about some suggestions for some resources or where can producers go to learn more about vaccines um, and get some more information on the subject? So there are a number of extension websites that have a lot of really great general information. I think that's a really great place to start. Um, but for local and you know, information that's specific to one facility or operation, I think it's really helpful to engage with your veterinarian, um, you know, maybe engage with your extension uh, as well and get that kind of local advice that can be really helpful. Absolutely. So thank you. Tremendous information today. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy what you had to say. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Bush. Yeah, thank you. It was great. It was fun. Well, that's a wrap for today, folks. Uh, definitely be sure to join us again next month for another episode. And until then, always remember, eat lamb and wear wool. Thanks and have a good day.